This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, MidwayUSA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I've been in pain for so long now, I'm just used to it. Ronnie Coleman. And then overuse injuries, not really so much overuse injuries. I normally get injured because I fall or trip or do something like that. I've broken some ribs. I think I've torn my hamstring four times in the last three and a half years, all from falls. I've had a couple of Hang on, hang on a second, Andrew. You've torn your hamstring three or four times and yet the streak continues? Yeah, I've done full tears where, like, my whole back of my hamstring was, like, black and blue. I actually did it while I was doing Cocodona. I think, was it the first year? First or second year I did it, which is a 257-mile race. I tore my hamstring at mile five and then had to continue on 250 miles with a torn hamstring. That sucked, but wouldn't recommend that one. I'm Doc. And this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on? Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now.
<clears throat> Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to embrace the suck. We are stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear on this episode of Hiker Trash Radio. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, Garage Grown Gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Welcome back to another week on the trail. Dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, take just a minute to help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. A first responder, an endurance athlete, and an ultra runner who has quite a streak going, Andrew Glaze. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Andrew. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure, absolutely. And I'm talking to you not too long after you just finished a pretty big event. What'd you just do? I just finished uh, UTMB, which is Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, which is a 106-mile race around the French, Italian, and Swiss Alps. Wow, I cannot wait to hear about it. We're going to take a deep dive into that in the second segment. But before we get there, just a few questions for you. Andrew, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast? I have. Okay, and uh, what, what do you think? I, I, I love it. Before I got into ultra running, I was like an avid backpacker. I still try to get at least one backpack trip in per year. I Backpacking is something that is, is like one of my passions, I would say. Fantastic. We're always looking to talk to recovering backpackers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I had more time, I would do more more backpacking. But right now, the ultra running is taking up most of my time. Yeah. And there there is a bit of a similarity between a 100 plus mile ultra trail run and hiking. There are some similarities. Yeah. Especially when you do ones with like large amounts of vert. It's almost just, it's like fast packing with aid stations. I've done a fair amount of fast packing and, or you had to carry, the difference is I don't have to carry as much food and water because every 10 miles or so I come to an aid station, I can refill and then I continue on. Yeah. It's like doing the JMT with dominoes every 15 miles. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Some ultra runs, you run the whole way, which is a little bit different than uh, backpacking. Absolutely. All right. Hey, I was just asking because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that we do towards the end of every episode. It's called The Hiking Hack, and that's where you'll have a chance to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. Sounds good. Okay. Trailblazers Toolkit. 
That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Now, I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest's adventure gear. So, Andrew, if you were preparing for your next adventure, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Give me all the specifics on that piece of gear and tell me why you've got to have it out there. And this could be any type of item. It could be gear, apparel, luxury item, something else I'm not even thinking of. So, Andrew, what is that item in your toolkit? When it comes to running, your shoes are pretty important. I would I'd have to go with shoes, but I feel like that's a sort of boring answer. I love my watch. I have a Garmin Phoenix 7X, which is I've been a tech junkie my whole life, and I have probably... 15 different garments ranging back when they were like the size of a small kitchen sink and you'd have to put them outside and it'd take 45 minutes for the satellites to pick them up to this now, which I click two buttons and it connects automatically. I like it because it's rugged. It has really good battery life. It has the solar glass. So it like charges in the sun and it's got all the mapping and everything built into it. So not only can I like build a course and then upload the like file to my watch and then follow it, I can upload races or I can just be freestyling in the backcountry and find summits and water sources and trails and everything just on my mapping software. So I, I love my watch and I love the technology involved in and watches every time a new one comes out, I get the newest one. So. That is my my baby. Okay, you mentioned two things, shoes and your watch. Let's take the first one first. What, what kind of shoes okay. do you have on your feet? When I'm on trail, I use Hoka Challengers. I've been running in Hokas pretty much since they started and continue to do. I just really the extra cushion and everything like that. Even when I backpack, I just wear my Hoka Challengers. I'm not a big boot guy. I've, I've experimented with them probably more when I was in my teens and that was like a thing, but I, I don't really need the ankle support. And I find that just a good trail shoe will get me through most backpacking adventures. So, well, Andrew, I'm going to rock your world right now because when I'm running on the street or if I'm, if I'm on the trail, if I'm backpacking, I'm wearing Hoka's. And then also, you're talking about your Garmin. Guess what's on my wrist? <laughs> I've got a Garmin. Now, it's, it's only an instinct. It's, it is not yeah. a Phoenix. So it is it is a primitive version uh, compared to yours. So with those two things in mind, we are like almost identical, except you're like a super endurance athlete and, and I'm not. <laughs> Twins. Twins. That's right. Separated <laughs> at birth. Now, what can your Phoenix 7X uh, do that my instinct can't? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. The biggest thing I think is just as the watches get better, the battery life gets better. I can run this watch, I think, about 48 hours in GPS mode without having to charge it, which is nice because I do, like, multi-day events. I have Beyond a that, feeling. I don't, I, I, like, I don't know a whole lot about the instincts. Yeah. So it's hard. I, I yeah, have a but, feeling that I am severely underutilizing my watch. I'm using yeah. it to track my runs and uh, track my hikes occasionally, but I am not uploading courses or setting waypoints or anything like that, which I think even the instinct can do. So I, I feel it's it's... I, I think so. Yeah. I think it's really like battery. The Phoenix is touchscreen now, which is like a newer f feature of the newer like models of Garmin's. So it's in, it's all colored and, you know, it has probably some sort of special color screen or something. And then it operates like, like an iPhone watch or whatever, where I can get all my messages. I don't do that, but you can get all your messages through your watch as well. 
Yeah. So, were you checking your messages on, on like mile ninety two of UTMB, seeing nah, who, nah, who had nah. texted you? No, nah, but I would get like. I get something like 8,000 DMs during a big 100-mile race, so I can't I can't have that on my watch. It would be like a nonstop buzz, buzzing. <laughs> it would run out of battery in two hours. Yes. It would be constantly vibrating. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm excited that you've got some hiking and backpacking uh, background because... It's the hiking pole. That means I can ask you the questions in the hiking poll, and that's poll spelled with two L's, like a survey, not like yeah. the uh, the things you carry out in your hands out there. Okay, I explain that every I do, time I to do my hiking polls. Okay, good. I, I explain <laughs> that to my my guests every time because I think I'm clever for coming up with that, and their reaction is pretty much yours, just a blank look. This is a this is a seven question survey that's going to help me okay. give you a score on the sanity scale from one to a hundred. With one being completely insane and 100 being completely sane. Now, just a note here. Anybody who's done a 100-mile ultra, it's an automatic 25-point deduction. So your highest possible <laughs> score today is 75. <laughs> I've done a 250-mile ultra, so what, how many points do I get off for that? That's minus 40. So your highest possible <laughs> score is 60. And these are all hiking-related questions, and it's not rapid-fire. I want you to give me your answer one way or the other, which side of the fence you fall on, and then give me some explanation because that will help me with my scoring. Because okay. you may give an answer that I, I completely disagree with, but you may persuade me a little bit with your explanation. I'll do my best. Okay, here we go. Question number one. When you're out there on the trail, trekking poles or no trekking poles? I normally use poles when I'm going like uphill if it's really steep or downhill, if it's really steep, if it's not like in that direction, then I put them away and I use an ultralight tent. So my poles are also part of my tent system. So I need poles for that. But yeah, if it's really steep downhill, I like to use my pole to break. So I don't have all the weight coming down onto my legs. And then if I'm going uphill and it's really steep, I like to use it so that my legs don't get so tired. Okay. Question number two, when it comes to your shelter system, and you gave it away a little bit here, tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? What's your preference? I have a like really lightweight tent, but I do also like when I do fast packing adventures, I have a, a nice bivy as well. So it really just depends if I'm doing a week long trip, then I'll bring my tent. And if it's like a fast packing adventure, then I'll use my bivy sack. Okay. You ever get claustrophobic in the bivy? No, I don't. I don't get claustrophobic. The only thing I don't like about the bivy is when the moisture builds up inside because your lungs produce moisture. And then if it's raining on the outside and then it's raining on the inside, it sometimes can be a little much. It's a lose-lose <laughs> right there. Yeah. All right. Question number three, sleeping bag or quilt? I have the sleeping bag that has like the, I, I don't know if it's called a quilt, but it's my feet can come out at the end. So is that considered a quilt? Oh, that's interesting. I've heard of quilts with like a foot box, but you're talking about, was it a hollow tube? Yeah, it's like a hollow tube. Yeah. So it's it looks like a sleeping bag, but it doesn't connect at the bottom. Okay. That's but a it's very, still, but, it's still, but it still zips up. That's a very unique answer. I'm not sure whether to add points or take <laughs> away points on that. You've stumped me there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So <laughs> I guess it's a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, it's a sleeping bag and a quilt. Okay. Question number four, when it comes to food out on the trail, are you a stove guy, cold soak or stoveless? 
Again, it's going to depend on how long the adventure is. I would say I'd go stove. I like warm food if I'm going to be out adventuring. Um, and I, I haven't got into cold soaking yet, but I follow those the TikTokers, like, what are they called? Like the, it's that couple and they, and I'm drawing a blank now. Yeah. Through hikers. Yeah. Is so there, I've met them a couple of times and done a couple of events with them and they're really cool people. And they're, they've got me fired up. Like next time I go, I'm going to do some cold soaking and experiment. Yes. They've been on the podcast a couple of times. And in fact, the husband actually said this is the best hiking podcast out there. Oh, good. Just FYI. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, were, I, I was at a Strava event a couple months ago and met them and it was pretty cool. They're a lot so, of fun. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Great couple. All right. Question number five, is life better above or below the tree line? I'm going to go, it's better below the tree line. I do love going up high, but man, that is a hard question. I think it's better above. Yeah, I because most of the time I backpack, I get above the tree line and then so that's 10,000 feet. Yeah, better above. Okay. And question number six, what's more important, pack weight or luxury items out there on the trail? Luxury items. Yeah. If we look into your bag, what, what kind of luxury items are we going to find? I have a like coffee press for like my, my stove and... I have a little camp chair type thing that's, I can use it as like a pad, but it also can be like a, a chair that I can recline in. That's my big one. I, I love to be able to sit and have a back behind me, but because like I have really strong legs, so I never think to myself like, oh, my pack's going to be too heavy. If I'm bringing a big backpack, like I don't, I will put everything in it. I don't, I do not care because it's like if it weighs 60 pounds, like my fire gear weighs 75 pounds. So it's not, it could be a 75 pound pack and I'm still fine. Now, if it's, if I'm doing like uh, fast packing, then it's no luxury. Just, just getting from point A to point B. I'm telling you, you and I very similar. I <laughs> love my, I love me a chair out there. Love to yeah, sit down with a back. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, and it, it like, it even has like, when it, you stretch it out, you can put your legs out and you just lean back and it's, oh, it's so nice. All right. Getting old. Oh, I would also <laughs> say I have a really nice, like inflatable pad to sleep on because I'm an old man and I don't like to just sleep on the dirt anymore. I need two inches. Oh, I was going to say, is it one of those six inch pads? Not six inch, <laughs> no. I'm a side sleeper and so it's, it has to be thick enough so that I can sleep on my side. That's right. You don't want to bottom out. Yes. Okay, and let's see, question number seven, last question in the poll, toilet paper, bidet, leaves, or snow? I like a, a wet wipe. I'm a wet wipe guy. You went, so. off, you went off of the proposed answers and went with some other answer. <laughs> well, it's That's... technically toilet paper. It's technically, but it's a, a wet toilet paper. Yeah, but it would be, yeah, toilet paper. When I was younger, I've done all the leaves and snow and smooth rocks and all that stuff, but I'm old and want to be comfortable. It would be just my luck to pick the wrong type of leaf to take care of business. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. All right. Hey, stand by, Andrew. I've got to do some math, which means i got to take off my shoes. We're going to use all 20 digits here. That's pretty complicated. I've got to carry the three. We're going to multiply that by pi. And divide by root five. And we're going to make a slight adjustment for the total solar capacity of your Phoenix 7X. And I come up with a score of 52. 52. All right. 52. So I'm not too crazy. 
you're just north of the midline, which seems a little bit high knowing what I do about you. So (laughs) I'll take it. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, Andrew, let's back up a little bit. Let's hear about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies were you involved in as a kid? And how did you get involved in the running cult? All right. I grew up in Southern California in a small town called Redlands. I played football. That was pretty much my main sport that I played. And I played it from like third grade all the way through high school. And let's see, hobbies growing up was just mostly sports and, and like school. Like I was in all the like AP classes and stuff. So I did a lot of brain work and sports work. And that was about it. How did I get involved in the running cult? Yes. Um, that's a whole other story. Like I didn't, I didn't get into running until I was in my like mid twenties and it was basically, I, after high school into college, like stopped working out, stopped doing anything physical and got myself into a little bit of a like depression, anxiety type situation where I was in my twenties. I was like a computer guy, like working on computers and had weird hours, didn't do anything physical and basically was like freaking out and friends had suggested, why don't you try exercise? And so I took an exercise science class in in a community college just to learn more about it because this is before the internet. I guess the internet was around, but it was like early stages of the internet. There weren't podcasts or weren't like, if I wanted to learn something, there's maybe, I don't even think WebMD was was there yet. So there were, you normally would go to a library or read a book or something like that. And so I took an exercise science class and they forced me to run a mile and a half and I did it and just never quit after that. So I've been running pretty consistently for the last like 20 something years, just because I took that exercise science class. Kind of like, uh, like Forrest yeah. Gump. Yeah, it wasn't quite as like <laughs> bad as it is now, but that's how it started. It's just like small mileage and just trying to like deal with anxiety and depression issues that I was probably having just because I was so inactive. And when you're inactive and I'm 20 years old, or your body wants to move, so... Now, Andrew, I'm no therapist or psychologist, but I I think there's something interesting in the fact that someone said, hey, you should try exercise. And instead of just going out and jogging around the block or doing some other kind of physical activity, you went to school to learn exercise. I like like to learn. (laughs) I I want to do the like proper way. It's like anytime I do anything, I try to like do as much research and figure out what there's a learning curve in everything you do. So the faster you can get through that learning curve, the better you can get better at doing what you want to do. And it must be a a big relief to you now that we have things like Google and YouTube. (laughs) Back in the day, I'm a bit older than you. So I I certainly remember these days where we had a set of encyclopedias growing up. If you want to learn something, you looked in the in the the world book encyclopedias. No, it doesn't matter that they're seven, eight years old. Take a look and see what you can find out. This is in the days before the internet. So I was obsessed with encyclopedias. I read cover to cover my grandparents' entire encyclopedia set when I was younger because I was just so obsessed with trying to learn stuff. So I continued that journey. (laughs) All right. Any siblings? 
I have a younger sister who I guess I'm 45 and she's, I think, 43. One and, sister. And I'm always interested to hear the whether or not the sibling is similar to you or very different. Is she also into running? Is she also into doing her research on stuff? No, she's so she's a, a teacher. And I guess now she's like some high-end administrator. I don't know if she's like a vice principal or something like that. But no, she is, she's like a hippie. And pretty much like dead opposite of me, but we're best friends. We talk all the time. She lives like nearby and she has two young kids and I'm the uncle and yeah. So we're really good friends, but we're very different. She's not, not huge into exercise. Although I try to encourage her because as we get older, it's, it's going to, it's going to become an issue if she doesn't exercise a little bit. Yeah. You should encourage her to take her class on exercise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I just tell her to listen to some of my podcasts. There you go. I always think it is just so intriguing to hear about siblings who grew up in the same household, same parents, same basic life experiences up to a certain point and are yet so different from each other. Funny how that works out. It is. All right. Hey, let's talk a little bit about you being a meat-free athlete. How does that um, impact your training and your races? It, I don't think it really impacts it too much. It was like a sort of like similar thing. My cousin was like vegetarian and I was like a huge meat eater. And I found myself talking shit about him and came to the conclusion, like, maybe I should try it before I talk shit about him. And so I tried it and I said, I was just going to do it for a month. and. Uh, 20 years later, or I don't know, I, I've totally lost track. It's something around maybe 20 years. I haven't had meat. I just never, I felt so good and had so much energy that I just never went back. That's the origin. And because it's been so long, it's, it doesn't really impact like anything. Cause I don't really think about it at races. It can be challenging because at aid stations, I can only eat certain things, but I've run a hundred mile race just eating pretzels and was, it probably wasn't the best, but I got it done. I guess I just adapt and I thought about races is just, okay, this is the challenge. There's not a lot of food. How are you going to get through it? And then just mentally coming up with a plan and then making it happen. So it hasn't necessarily, there's been a couple of times when at, at races there was like very few or no vegan options. And that was, it was what it was, but I bring some food and normally it's not an issue. Technically Coke is vegan and most aid stations have Coke and it's just sugar water and it has calories. And so it's like at the end of the day, if they have no food, I can just drink a bunch of Coke. There's, it's obviously not super healthy, but if I have to get through it, there's little ways I can do it. Now, Andrew is being a meat-free athlete is it more of a health choice or, or is it like a moral choice or is it both? Just, I think mostly just health. Like I, I, I wasn't really thinking about like the moral implications. Like when I started it, it's just, I just feel better. So I just continued on doing it. Yeah. I try not to get all judgmental on people's life choices and I don't ever tell people what they should or shouldn't do with their diet. And most of my friends are meat eaters. My, my kids eat meat. Yeah. I just, it just works for me. And so I just do it, but I don't really like the side of 
humans that think that it's important to tell other people how to eat. And I think that sometimes my circle of like veganism, that can be a thing, but also the circle of meat eaters, it can be a thing too. I just think it's, everyone should just do what works for them. But if you're, if it's not working for you, then you should try other things. Try eating meat, only meat, try being vegetarian, try this and that, and then come to your own conclusion on what works for your body. Now, Andrew, what does it say about me that I'm a meat eater? I enjoy my meat, but I have meat eater guilt. I try and keep them compartmentalized, but I, there are times where I'm wondering, what am I doing? I, I do feel guilty, but I just keep doing it. Or were you raised Catholic? Because like <laughs> that could be it. Internal guilt. Nice. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I, I thought we weren't going to get into religion here. No, I know, I know. That was, I should have. <laughs> that, that's on you. All that's right. Hey, let, let's talk about how you're paying the bills these days, because I did mention that you're a first responder. You want to key us into what you do for your day job? Yeah, I'm a, so I'm a fire captain at a, like a city fire department. So the captain is like in charge of one station. So I have like five guys under me and then, yeah. I'm in charge of the operations for two apparatus. Which two apparatus? Uh, so I'm on a, a Quint, which is like a fire truck, like a tiller fire truck, which is the big truck with the guy that drives in the back and the guy that drives in the front. And then I also have an ambulance that, that rolls with us on calls for 911 medical calls. How important is the guy in the back? I want to be that guy. He looks like he's having a lot of fun back there. It's very important because that the rig is so long and when we have to make really tight turns, his back, he controls his back wheels. But the weird thing about the tillerman is if you're turning right and you're like a normal steering wheel, you would turn to the right. But if you're the tillerman, then you turn to the left and it makes the tires go like the, the correct way so that you can make really sharp turns. Um, yeah, we can we can flip a bitch on a normal street just because we can manipulate the the tires a certain way. It's pretty pretty insane what we can get that thing in and out of it being so big. And it has a hundred foot ladder. We can get up on some pretty big buildings and everything as well. Yeah, it sounds like you one of the job qualifications is being dyslexic if you're going to be in the back there because if you're going right, you got to turn left. I would get that messed up. Yeah, it's but when you're back there, it's just like it's like a weird because I have to drive back there a bunch. Um, it's just like second you get back there and it's weird. Cause there's no like foot pedals or anything. There's just a steering wheel. There's no way to brake. So, uh, I think the hardest part of it is like backing up. Cause it's like, you have to think really hard about how to turn the wheel when you're backing up. Cause you have to look back, but you can't really look back and you have mirrors and stuff. But if it's at nighttime, you can't really see. That's like me trying to back up a travel trailer on, on the back. You, you turn yeah, one way, exactly. and it goes the other way. I'm like, what is going on here? You're the boat or you're the travel trailer, and, and the guy in the front is pushing you. It, it gets a little challenging, but now, lots, of, lots of practice. Now, you're the captain, and you still have to drive the back of the truck? That doesn't seem well, quite sometimes right. Sometimes, like, not normally, but say we go on a really, like, bad medical aid or something like that or, like, a car accident, my firemen will jump in the back of the ambulance because they're paramedics and they will go to the hospital and my engineer who drives it and myself will have to then go pick them up at the hospital. So we have to drive the tiller 
just the two of us to the hospital. So I have to go in the back and I will tell her. Got it. Now with just five people under you, is that, is that a normal size fire station? Are you in a smaller town or? Yeah, well, we just have one rig per station. So like my station has the truck and then the other stations have fire engines, which have the hose and the, the pumping and everything like that. I don't know. Some fire stations will have more apparatus but less fire stations. And then some cities have more fire stations and less apparatus. It just, it really just depends on how the coverage is. Yeah. There's not a standardized manual how to, how to, there's not a standardized manual how to set up a fire station coverage throughout a city. That's some kind of national handbook. It normally is by like response times. So like each station will cover like a seven minute circle around them. So like my station handles like seven minutes in any direction. And then the, the other station handles seven minutes. The other station handles seven minutes. And if you like draw circles around all of them, then they all touch so that we're covering the whole city with a seven minute circle. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. Yep. That's a great explanation. Now, as a fire captain, you've got built in training for your ultra endurance events, <laughs> right? I mean, you're carrying. You get to train with hoses and up and down ladders, and there's a lot of physical yeah. aspect to your job. Yeah, it's a physical job for sure. But yeah, we do like we do a lot of physical training, and then also we're encouraged to work out. So it's, I I get a workout on duty. The erratic sleep schedule is good for ultras because that's right. Like, we're not doing UTMB. I was up for the race took me 37 hours, but like I was up for one, maybe 42. Being up at work for multiple days in a row and having to do complex tasks and things like that, it does, it is helpful in an ultra because like I'm used to having weird sleep patterns. Now, did you become a fire captain for that very reason? Because it transfers well, the the skills that you build transfers well to, to ultra running? No, I was a firefighter before I got into ultra running. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. Going to pay some bills, hear from the advertisers. When we come back, we're going to get into some experiences on the trail, both both the hiking trail and the, the trail like the UTMB. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment 
and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And welcome back. We're talking to Andrew Glaze. Andrew, I forgot to ask you if you had pick up a, picked up a trail name along the way. Is that a thing in ultra running uh, on the trails or not? I, I don't think I have a trail name. Okay. Um, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do know about them. But yeah, I don't think I have one. Okay. Because on the, on the Zoom feed here, it just says Glaze. I didn't know if you're going by Glaze. Is, is that a... Like a I know it's your last name, but it's also a pretty cool, pretty cool trail name. Yeah, I think it's because of social media, people just like my Instagram is Amglaze, and a lot of times people just call me by that because they don't, they don't know. I don't know, but beyond that, I don't think I have a, a, a name. Okay. Now you do have some on-trail experience when you were young. You, you mentioned that you had some experience in the Eastern Sierras, the JMT, when you're 18, and you had a, a very interesting story about that. It seems. Yeah. So when I was 18, I convinced a bunch of guys from college. I went to college in upstate New York, and I convinced them that we should hike the John Muir Trail, and I organized the whole thing and worked all summer. So that I, I would like literally get a paycheck, go to REI, buy stuff, go to Costco, buy stuff. And I had it all 
scheduled and planned and all they had to do was fly out and we were going to hike it. And this is obviously, I think this was 96. So all you had to do was show up and they just gave you your permit and you just hiked it. It wasn't, now it seems like it's a, a lot harder process to, to do, but I, we just showed up and just started hiking and it was like, literally the permit was like no big deal. And this was also before bear canisters. So you, we had bear bags and I, we were, I don't know, maybe 10 days, two weeks into it. And I a bear literally climbed up the tree and got all our food and we woke up and had no food. And ended up having to like completely hike out with no food. And yeah, it was like a, a dramatic. It's like we were starving and then we finally got into town. And then we, my, our parents weren't going to pick us up till I think we were supposed to be out there for, God, I don't even know how long, maybe 30 days or something or 20 something days. I, I can't really remember, but so we were just like homeless on the streets. Luckily we had money. So we like, bought food and just like we just find random places to sleep at night and just had to like crash out there till our parents could come pick us up but did not complete the John Muir trail <laughs> do you remember where you were on the trail when that happened I don't we ended up hiking into it was like Tom's place which is like down from Mammoth right we did, we just, we did a, we hitchhiked, we did all sorts of stuff. And I, I know the area cause I grew up like with some property near Bishop. So I like new places to go. I'm like, Oh, there's a hot springs over here. So we'd like hitchhike out to the hot springs and spend the day out there. And then, but yeah, we were just dirt bagging it for like quite a while until we could get a ride out of there. Just killing, so, just killing time so the parents can come out and pick you up. Yeah, yeah. People, I, I remember like one time some guy like woke us up and he was like, this is my campsite. You guys aren't allowed to be here because we had literally just just pitched a tent and just we're just sleeping on the ground. And it was apparently like some guy's campsite. He kicked us off at two in the morning. Yeah, it was dramatic, but it, it was fun. A bunch of 18-year-old kids hitchhiking around and just doing fun stuff. But that was like back when, we, I remember like, we didn't have really, we, I bought Mac and cheese and power bars. Power bars were like the only thing that you could buy back then. There was no, nothing else. There's no cliff bars. There was no, that was it. And they were so freaking gross. I can, I still think back to how gross they were, but it's all the food we had. So we literally survived off power bars and Mac and cheese. Safe to say that part of your vegan diet these days is not power bars. No, it is not. <laughs> I don't even, do they still even sell those things? It's, that was such a food of the 90s. You, you are dating yourself, Andrew. That's that's back in the dark ages. No cell phones, no, yeah, no complicated permit process, no dehydrated yeah. meals, just uh, just some mac and cheese and some, some power bars. Yeah, yep, just craft mac and cheese. That is some real life experience right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. That trail is amazing. I always said I was going to go back and hike it, but I just, finding that amount of time now as an adult is, is a little bit harder. Have you heard of Jeff Garmeyer? Yeah, I know Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> yes. Excellent. We have friends in common then. I know I know yeah. Jeff as well. He's been on the podcast several times, and I one of my favorite episodes with him was when he came on and talked about his FKT of the JMT, which was 72 hours and some change. 
So I'm sure, Andrew, you could find 72 hours somewhere and get the GMT done. Jeff is the master of FKTs, man. He's He can move fast when he wants to. We've done Cocodona a couple times together. He's a different dude. He is a lot of fun to talk to. Very interesting guy. He is. All right. He just got third place at some race in Arizona, a 100-miler. Okay. Did he, yeah, do, it? Did he I, do it in Crocs? <laughs> I don't think so, but I saw the Crocs on afterwards when he was standing on the podium. <laughs> oh, Jeff. And as I introduced you tonight, we talked about, let's switch to running here. I, I talked about a streak that you've got going. It is a pretty impressive streak. I think I saw in a social media post today or yesterday that you've been doing this for 181 weeks, which is over over three years. Yeah, it's. I think it's 183 weeks now, and okay. it's, which just breaks 3.5 years. Woo. And you're going to understand why I say whoo. When you hear that it, it, he's been running 100 miles a week for 183 consecutive weeks. That's averaging, that's 15 miles a day, right? You got to get 15 miles in a day average to, to hit that. Three miles. miles. Yeah. Yeah. And normally I get like 140. It's, I think I averaged the last three and a half years, like 21 miles a day, mm-hmm. something like that for three and a half years. Here on Hacker Trash Radio, I ask the hard questions. Um, so question number one is why I love running. So it's, it's fun for me. Originally it was why it was just COVID closed all the races. And I just was looking for some other way to challenge myself like physically and emotionally. And so for a while there was no races. So it was just like me doing high mileage to compensate for the fact that I, I, I couldn't go out and do a hundred mile like race. Although I did do a couple self-supported hundred milers during COVID just for fun. I mean, that, that's, that's the reason why, why does it continue? I, I don't know. I guess cause I, it, nothing dramatic has happened in my life where I've had to stop it. I figured by now something terrible would <laughs> and it would stop break a leg or get hit by a car. Or like, I've got, had a few injuries and I've been able to push through them, but I just, I, I never thought it would go this far, but I'm not going to quit it just for no no reason. I'm having a good time. So Now, as the streak has gone on longer and longer, is there now, do you feel any additional pressure to keep the streak going? Not normally. Sometimes if I have a hard week, it, it makes the week harder. But like out of the three and a half years, I probably only had four or five weeks where they've been like really challenging. Normally... It's just part of my normal day-to-day, and I, I don't really think too much about it. And then, you know, it just all adds up to 100 miles or more. So um, it if it became unfun, I probably wouldn't continue it. But, it like, I'm having a good time. So I like running. I like running far. I like being sore. I like being broke off. I like waking up in the morning and, like, hobbling out of bed. Um so you, you make know, it sound it, so appealing. That's not appealing, people, but it's like you said in the beginning of your intro, like I do a lot of things that are like type two fun. And for me, this is like type two fun. And I like, I, I run twice a day. I catch every sunrise. I catch every sunset. I like running in trails and around my city. And I like seeing the seasons and wildlife and plants and flowers and all that stuff. So it's fun for me. 
it blows my mind because you wouldn't know from looking at me, but I also run. I've been running since uh, 2010. My daughter was a freshman at that time in high school and had joined cross country and I would drop her off and I figured I might as well just run. Now, admittedly, I did not take a class in exercise <laughs> or, or how to run, but I just picked it up naturally, believe it or not. Yeah. And yeah. so I've been running and I know as a runner, at least for me, whenever I finish a run, I'm always thinking about, okay, when am I going to do the next run? Especially if I'm training for something, it really just kind of takes over my psyche. When am I going to run again? And then there's also that relief of, okay, I ran, I did a long run on, on Sunday. And so Monday morning, I get to sleep in. I'm not running tomorrow. But that doesn't seem to be the case with you. You're running not just once a day, but twice a day. What does your average day look like? And uh, have you picked up any overuse injuries? My average day, it really depends on what I'm training for. If I'm just like maintenance, like running, then it can be like anywhere from 15 to 20 miles in the morning. And then I normally do, I don't know, I like five to seven in the evening, somewhere around there. And then. But sometimes if I'm like for UTMB, cause it had 34,000 feet of vertical climbing. Um, I spent more time running mountains, less mileage, higher vert. The local mountain by my house is 11,500 feet, but it's nine miles up, nine miles down. And you gain around 6,000 feet of vert. Is that San Gregorio? So, yeah. 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 San I, I recognize it from the statistics. Yeah. Yeah. I've run that mountain hundreds of times and that's like my little training like ground um, that and like San Bernardino and I guess Baldy sometimes too. But if I'm training for something with more vert, then I do less miles and more vert. It's, I, I, so I like my day has a lot to do with what I'm training for and if I have a race coming up or not. And then overuse injuries, not really so much overuse injuries. I normally get injured because I fall or trip or do something like that. I've broken some ribs. I think I've torn my hamstring four times in the last three and a half years, all from falls. I've had a couple of Hang on, hang on a second, Andrew. You've torn your hamstring three or four times and yet the streak continues? Yeah, I've done full tears where like my whole back of my hamstring was like black and blue. I actually did it while I was doing Cocodona. I think, was it the first year? First or second year I did it which is a 257 mile race. I tore my hamstring at mile five and then had to continue on 250 miles with a torn hamstring. That sucked, but <laughs> wouldn't recommend that one. And then like at work, sometimes things will happen. Like I had a wall fall on me and it messed my ankle up, but mostly it's just trauma. It's not like anything other than that. That's trauma is my biggest like, that's why I think the streak will end. There will be some sort of trauma that happens that makes it so I can't continue. Now, ordinarily, I would think that a doctor or a medical professional, maybe even a first responder would tell you, hey, if you rip your hamstring, hey, take a couple days off. Yeah, they would. They would definitely tell me that. But you, but, would, you, know, you wouldn't listen. It's, it's my body and my choice to do what I want with it, so... It all worked out. Probably took longer to heal because I kept running on it. And I always tell people, like, don't do what I do. I'm stupid sometimes, but they're always uh, like, I don't understand. You don't get hurt. Like, how does the streak continue? It's obviously if the streak continued and I got hurt, then I ran when I was hurt. 
which I wouldn't recommend you do, but it just is what it is. I'm going to do it. So you you don't get a long, crazy streak without doing some things that probably doctors and professionals would tell you not to do. What was the time that the streak was closest to ending? I got really sick after UTMB last year, just deathly ill. I don't know if I didn't, I didn't get tested. It could have been COVID, but it was definitely some sort of illness where I had very little energy. Um, And I had it for two weeks and I think I got 101 miles both weeks, like just barely made it happen. Illnesses are the ones that get me where it's like the hardest to complete because you just have so little energy to, if it's an injury and it's painful, I can push through the pain, but you can't really push through an illness. That exhaustion feeling is, is hard to get through. I got it. I got through it. But when I think back to the roughest weeks, it's always when I'm sick. Andrew, let me take you through a true story that happened here at at the, in the doc household. I installed some closet doors in the studio uh, here on Sunday. Did a lot of squatting, right? And <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and what you've gone through to keep that streak alive, tearing hamstrings, deathly ill, just feeling terrible. I get out of bed at 5 a.m. on Monday morning uh, to do my run. Not Admittedly, not a long run, a four-mile run just to get the blood flowing and I, I feel a twinge of, oh, my glute, it's sore from all that squatting I did yesterday. I better rest it. I get back in bed where it's nice and warm and I don't have to go outside. Or there, there have been times where I've looked out the window, is the wind blowing? It looks like it's blowing a little too much to go for a run today. Right. So I'm looking for excuses. You obviously just put those in the rear view. Yeah. And then this, I've done, I think I've done 12 ultras this year. And I think nine of them were hundred milers and one of them was a two fifty. That can be a little challenging too, is doing another hundred mile week when you just ran a hundred miler that weekend. So my, my week starts on Monday. So Monday to th- Sunday is like my week. Yeah. When you run a hundred miler on Saturday or Friday to Saturday or Saturday to Sunday, and then you have to start fresh at zero on Monday, th- those can be hard weeks too. Well done. And I also saw on your social media something called Dinner Miles. Can you take us through what Dinner Miles are? Yeah, so Dinner Miles, is I say a lot of shit on social media because it's just my social media is just me. And one of the things I say is, oh, I'm out feeding my legs some Dinner Miles. And somehow it like caught on and became like a world worldwide phenomenon where like people from, I think I literally have every continent has sent me videos of them doing dinner miles. And it's just literally just the miles you do in the evening before dinner or after dinner or whatever. You're essentially feeding your legs miles. And it was just like a, something silly that I would say as I like, because I, blo- I vlog everything I do. And so I'd be like, yeah, I'll feed my legs. Thank you. Some dinner miles. And like, all of a sudden, everyone would start doing the same thing. And now it's like this crazy phenomenon that's, all over the internet, people tagging digger, dinner miles. Are you, so. are you selling dinner miles uh, merchandise? No, I don't sell anything except that <laughs> running is fun. So that's the only thing I'm selling. Fantastic. Hey, let's, let's go to uh, your, your latest experience here, the UTMB. 
And as you, you explained what that was, there's a lot of vert involved. It's a 106-mile race. You were out there for on course for 37 hours, but you were awake yeah. for 40-plus hours. Yeah. How do you train for something like that? You don't do 70-mile training races leading up to a 100-mile ultra. What is the furthest distance you go, and, and what kind of mileage are you ideally looking to, to log each week leading up to that? Like I said, I've run 12 ultras. So it's the old saying is run ultras to train for ultras. So as far as like the distance goes, I feel like I have that under wraps because I it's more of a mental game than a physical game. So I've run a bunch of 100-mile ultras already this year. I I ran a really hard one in Wyoming that I think took me 31 hours. So it's like the staying awake part's not necessarily like the issue, but Leading up to that race, I did a lot of mountain running. I, I did San Gregorio seven days in a row. So that's whatever it is. It's 24 miles or something and 40,000 feet of vert. So I would do things like that. I would go run out at Mount Baldy. There's like a, you hit five peaks. It's called like the three T trail that then goes into Baldy and then that's 20 something miles with I think it's seven or 8,000 feet of vert. So really I was just like focused on like running mountains, but like at UTMB, what you really have to train for is like the downhill. It's like the uphill, assuming you can, you're a good climber is not necessarily the issue, but like when you're like running downhill and it's like super technical and you have to like break with your legs a bit. And if your quads are not, like in good enough shape to handle that downhill, that's how that race you're going to fall apart. So when I was running the mountains, I was more focused on the downhill running aspect of it than getting to the top. And I've done UTMB four times. So mentally I know what, what I have to do and it's just really just getting my body ready for downhill running. So now take us to this year's UTMB. So so you get there. How many contestants? What's the atmosphere like? Uh, is it is it just absolutely packed on the trail? How does the race proceed? Yeah, so it's. I think it's. No one's proved me wrong, but I think it's the biggest trail ultra in the world. There's bigger ultra marathons, but as far as the trail goes, I think it's the biggest one. I think there's like around 2,500, 2,600 people. So. It is very packed. You start in Chamonix, France, and the first mile or so, you're literally running through the heart of the city down a road, and everyone's packed on the sides cheering for you. It's very electric, very, very marathon feel to it, like when you're running New York City Marathon or Boston or something like that. But And you're always with people because there's thousands and thousands of people running it. But there's really just gridlock in the first six miles and then it opens up and and it gets a little bit better. But unlike other ultras, especially ones in the States, like where you spend a lot of time by yourself, you're pretty much always with people in this race. Plus it's, you're going through cities and there's backpackers and there's just lots, lots of activity on the trail, people cheering for you, like everything, like the Europeans get really into ultras. They love them. It's like, they get just as into UTMB as they do the Tour de France, which is fun. Yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal. I know that there's a, a big group in France that want to do something like the Barkley in France. There's a huge Barkley fan base in France. Really? Yeah, yeah. There's interesting. I, I'm, I'm sure. 
that that race. They are you saying like they want to fly out to Tennessee and do it? Oh, they or they are, want to make a Barkley in 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 Europe. So they are rabid fans of the Barkley, and they want to bring that to Europe as well. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, they could. There's their vert is just insane out there. They could definitely they could build a race that has a lot of vert. Yeah. Did you see Courtney DeWalter out there? Not like just from a distance. Like they have all the the big pros like in a pen away from us common folk. Um, I may be saying her name wrong, but she is truly impressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's just incredible. And what a year. <laughs> it's just like blows my mind. She won three hundred mile ultras this summer. Yeah, but not just three, like the three like the crown <laughs> yeah. jewels. I, I might have undersold that a little bit, yes. Yeah, like the hard rock, western states and UTMB. Yeah. The big deals. In the ultra community, those are like the three big races. Yeah. Now in your time out on the UTMB this year with being out there for thirty seven hours, any when you get tired and sleep deprived, do you hallucinate at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm a big hallucinator. What I've learned through listening to podcasts is that the brain and the eyes are the same. The eyes are part of the brain, which I never knew. And when the brain gets tired, the eyes see things that don't exist. And it's not like you, you realize that you're hallucinating and your brain is still very lucid. It's not like you're like on drugs or something. You just, it's almost more bizarre because you still are thinking clearly. Your eyes are seeing crazy stuff. So you're like, this isn't real. I'm this, this is like really bizarre and there's no real way to get rid of it unless you take a nap. Yeah. What are some of the bizarre things you, you saw out there or you thought you saw? So for a large portion of the second, so the race starts in the evening, starts at 6 PM. So you, you go through two nights. So the second night is always like the hardest because you get tired and night running is as difficult as it is. Cause you're like, headlamp and, and all that sort of stuff. But w w when I would ever look at the ground, it's, it's hard to explain, but like the entire ground was like a cartoon. So it was like every leaf, every rock, every brown spot that was dirt was like an interactive cartoon looking at me and I could focus on all of them at the same time. So like normally the way the eyes work is you like look at something and you focus on it and everything else is blurred out. But like I could see it all at the same time, all interacting with me as I'm running down the trail. So what I would have to do is I had to just stare into the darkness. If I looked down, it was like just too distracting because there was too much activity. And then if I looked to the right or the left, the rocks and everything that were on the sides of me, I would see crazy stuff too. So it was like this. I had to try to just focus on the darkness and move forward without focusing around me because if i looked at anything it was stuff that wasn't really there it was like you're a wily e coyote and a lot of my listeners will, will not pick up that reference but i know you're of an age that you, you'll recognize right, that right. Uh, character yeah. yes yeah so it's hard to explain you just everything that you think you see is not real and it's just a weird scenario to be in when you're Navigating through like really treacherous, like technical trail. <laughs> okay. So 37 hours, you, you see the finish line. What, what's going through you? What are you feeling? Uh, it's a great feeling. I'm one of those people that like visualizes finishes. And so 
I'm always visualizing myself finishing so that I find that's like a productive way to use my mental capacity. But when you get there, it's just this amazing, everyone's cheering for you. You run back through Chamonix and you finish at the same spot you start. So the crowds are cheering. You get pumped up. You finish. They're announcing your name. My wife was there. So she ran in with me and yeah, it was, it was really awesome. And then I'm like, all right, I need to take a nap. <laughs> it's, it's nighttime. So now you mentioned aid stations every so many miles. Were there opportunities for your family to meet you, family and friends to meet you along the trail at those places? Yeah, I think my, so my wife met me at mile 20 and then there's normally she could meet me at mile 50, but there was a landslide and it was very difficult for her to get to that aid station. So I just told her to skip it. So I saw her at mile 20, I think mile 80, 90, 90, 98 or something like that. And that's it. So like at the end, I saw her a bunch and I saw her one time in the beginning. She didn't see me for 20 something hours in the middle. Right. Hey, congratulations. What, what an epic experience. Of the four that you've run, does one stand out as your favorite? The last two years we've had perfect weather. And so that's been really nice. One year I did it, it snowed and rained and it was terrible. It was, that was a lot more type two fun. <laughs> that's but, an added uh, dimension for sure. Yeah, the thing about this race is, so this is like a really popular hiking trail. And if you Google it, it's called TMB. And what people will do is they have huts all around the, the whole thing. And you just hike from hut to hut. Maybe you do 10, 15 miles a day. You get to a hut, you drink some wine, or you eat some pasta, you relax. Or you're in some French, Italian, Swiss town that's beautiful. And then you wake up the next day, you put your pack on, you hike another 10, 15 miles, get to another little chateau, drink some French wine, eat some food. And so it's a pretty cool thing to do if you're into backpacking. I was, I've been talking to those through hiker couple and I'm like, you guys need to go out there and do this. This would make epic footage. So hopefully they go out there and do it. And I'm like, I just want to see their video, but it's, it's a really popular, if you like backpacking, um, which obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you do. That's definitely one to put on your bucket list. Absolutely. They've got to figure it out there. Any, anytime you can hike for 15 miles and then end up at a, a chateau ship and sipping some wine, yeah. that's the, the way to do it. Right. Yeah. It's definitely like glamping hiking. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right. Hey, Andrew, what's next on your adventure list? What do you got coming uh, up? So I'm doing a hundred miler in a couple of weeks. This is like a kind of a shakeout, but the, the big adventure is I'm doing Moab 240 mid-October. And that'll be a, that's going to be a hard one. <laughs> yeah. Do you know Kevin Goldberg? Do I know? It sounds really familiar. Kevin Goldberg. Has he done it a bunch? Yeah. He's, he, he and Gabe Peterson were on the, they, they fast packed the okay. JMT. Yeah, that's how I, I know Gabe. Yeah. Um, Kevin, it sounds really familiar, but. He's a pretty again, good. I get, he's, I get stuck on people's Instagram names and then it's like hard for me to remember what their real names are. Yeah. Shred and Kevin or. What was it? Uh, Ultra Fly Kev? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I guess he's pretty good at the 200 milers. He, he's he's finished pretty well. Yeah, Gabe's really good too. Gabe's doing Tour de Jaunts right now, which is this crazy race in Italy. I saw that on like his feed, yeah. 
200 and something miles with like 80,000 feet of vert, something crazy. Wow. Andrew, not many degrees of separation between you and me. We know a lot of people in common. <laughs> yeah. It's because like I do, like there are a lot of fast packer backpackers that also yeah. do ultras. So, okay. And, and my community is pretty small and you know, I'm like super social. So I, you know, I tend to talk to a lot of people. Nice. That's a good trait. Yeah. Hey, you know where we are right now, Andrew? You tell me. Hiking hacks. That's right. It's that time of the episode where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So what kind of advice do you have for us? I think like the biggest thing that I always struggle with ultras and backpacking is like chafing and blisters. And so I have a couple of videos. Like one, one of the things I, I like to do with my toes is I like to take KT tape and I tape them up. Like some people like those socks that are like the glove socks. I have weird shaped toes and those socks don't fit on me. So I just take KT tape and I cut it and I wrap my toes and it'll stay on for days and days and you can get them wet and it'll stay on. And, and a lot of times that will, prevent you from getting blisters on your toes. The other thing I really like is I like to, I, I use a lot of lube. And if you are hiking in wet conditions, I found, I use this lube called salty britches and I, I've coated my entire feet in it and then put my socks over and it almost, if you're in wet conditions and you're going through streams or you're always wet, your feet won't turn into those spongy white where the skin flakes off and everything, because then that can be very painful. My two hacks are lube and KT tape when it comes to like chafing and blisters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe and it's something some... I've made a lot of videos about and I've turned a lot of people onto it and, I, and I've had a lot of positive feedback. So... Yeah. On, on any other podcast, the, the tip of the week being lube and tape might be taken the wrong way, but it makes total sense on this podcast. Yeah. It works great on your nipples too. I don't know if some people chafe on their nipples and it's like KT tape. It just works way better than bandages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that your weird shaped toes have anything to do with a streak or vice versa? <laughs> the, stri the streak having anything to do with your weird shaped toes? Yeah, they might. They say you get hammer toes. I think I've always just had weird shaped toes. But yeah, I don't know. My toes are disgusting. I will tell you that. Okay. So. <laughs> we are really sharing tonight. So there you have it. We are just about done here. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Andrew. Want to thank him for coming on this week. Andrew, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, so on Instagram, I'm am am glaze on tiktok i'm glaze runs and i think on i'm glaze runs as well on youtube although i'm my youtube i'm that's my weak link there i'm bigger on the other ones he's got strong legs and weak youtube got it oh and i'm andrew glaze on strava okay yeah strava is the only one i really care about that's strava or it didn't happen that's right. That's right. Strava or it didn't happen. Remember to check out Hiker Trash on Hiker Trash Radio on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you have any comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at hikertrashradio at gmail.com. Off the beaten path. 
Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail, and when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. Andrew, I'm going to turn to you and ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This could be a book, a movie, documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. What do you have? You're going to stump me on this one. I, I don't know. No good I documentaries that you that you like yeah. out there? Something with the Barkley, maybe? Yeah, Barkley's always good. There was like, there's some really good videos this year. Sally McRae, who's also called Yellow Runner, put out some really good like documentary on Cocodona this year. Trying, I can't think of what it's called, but if you were to like put in YouTube Sally or I guess Yellow Runner and Cocodona, it's like a, a pretty, pretty dang good. It's like about 45 minutes long documentary on her Cocodona 250 mile adventure which I really enjoyed. I the thing I don't consume a lot of media, like I don't watch TV or anything like that. You don't have you don't have time to. You're always running. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but honestly most of my podcasts are like science-based and stuff like that. I am like a geek when it comes to that. But what's your yeah, what's your what's your favorite science-based podcast? It's Andrew Huberman. I'm like borderline obsessed with him. I'm a big, huge fan of him. And I really like Peter Atiyah's, I think it's called The Drive. I'm just like, I just try to do all these life hacks so that I'm healthier and live longer and all that sort of stuff. That's my current obsession, but nice. You know. nice. And we will ask people to check out Yellow Runner's documentary on Cocodona. It'd be fascinating to get another another look at that race. That's Jamil Corey's race and is our, our Vipa yeah. running. Yes, Arabipa, yes. yeah. Yeah, yep. He's also been on the on the podcast. Uh, love talking to him as well. He was quite a character and he has done some incredible stuff as well. Yeah, he's yeah, he's a good friend of mine and super impressive mm-hmm. athletically. Yep. <laughs> True. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss tonight? I know we just scratched the surface. Uh, any other tidbits you want to share with us? I'm married and I have three kids. And let's see. I think this year I did like a crazy thing where I ran a hundred mile race and then I did, had one day off and then I ran a 250 mile race, which I think was probably the hardest thing I've ever done physically. So I to like, I'll highlight that for a little bit because it was it was quite the challenge. So it was like 350 miles in seven days with 60,000 feet of vert. So when, when does that movie come out and who plays you in the movie? <laughs> yeah, I, I it was so hard that I still haven't made a video about it. Like I, I totally have slacked on. I've started it, but it's just, man, that that whole experience really touched me on a level that I haven't been able to like put together and and video quite yet. I've made a lot of smaller videos about it, but not like a full on long video about it, but someday it'll happen. Okay. All right. Hey, we are finished. I want to thank you for coming on Hacker Trash Radio. Andrew, we wish you the very best and hope you'll consider coming back and uh, sharing some more adventures with us on a future episode. For, For sure. Okay. As you, know, we, you know how to get in touch with me. I do. I'm not going to DM you when you're on the UTMB because that'd be just one of 8,000. I try to get I try to get back to everybody. Okay. As we close up, any shout outs to friends and family? Uh, shout out to my wife who allows me to do all this crazy stuff. She's definitely my biggest supporter and yeah, allows me to do it. So she's the best. 
Okay. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if the trail is turned into an interactive cartoon. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.